All right, we're here at the Young Ones on the Athletic NBA Show. I'm Jared Weiss. I'm joined by Law Murray, our Clippers writer for the Athletic, and Will Guillory, our New Orleans Pelicans writer. And Law, you just got back from All Star. How much did it suck? I don't think it sucked. I mean, other than Sunday when I tried to find food and I literally had to go to the damn arena to do it. I mean, your choices were listen to Kid Leroy and the NBA crossover or, you know, go to Walgreens and stock up. You couldn't even go to the damn food court. And anyway, yeah, All-Star was cool. Was there like a food court at the at the hotel where you were staying or it's just just like the food options are so limited in Salt Lake you have to go to a food court to get decent food. Okay, okay you, so you should know what my strategy is for booking the All-Star Hotel because I've done this two years in a row. Tried and true. I don't do the media hotel, bro. I I'm not going to be where everybody else is going to be. I'm going to be somewhere else in the cut, okay? I had to definitely cut a deal. I was at a place called the Metropolitan Inn and it was definitely an inn, two ends and you know, I didn't cost the company a lot of money and no one knew where I was for 48, 72 hours. It was cool. <laughs> See, that's I, mean, a whole I don't know nothing about that media hotel stuff. Is it possible to be in the mix in Salt Lake? Is there a mix in Salt Lake to, to, to be in? I don't know. Maybe I'm hating. I'm going to have the, the jazz fans. It depends on, on what kind of, it, yeah, it depends on what kind of mix you're talking about. Um, yeah, buddy. I mean, I think it's a bull move that you're going non-Marriott because anyone who's in the industry knows everybody does Marriott. There's always like a few randos that do Hilton or like someone does Hyatt, which like credit to them, Hyatt is by far the best value for a rewards program. But like there's 5 million Marriott's. I'm in a Marriott uh, property. I won't say which one. Uh, I'm sure somebody will figure it out as soon as they see it in <laughs> Indianapolis right now because I'm covering the Celtics Pacers game on Thursday. All the damn but, like, statues up in their place. It's funny because like, you know, Marriott's are so they're they're all exactly the same that even though they're all kind of like at least a lot of them are nice, you're just so used to it when you're working in this job, at least that like they all kind of seem like the same crap every single time. So it's fun when you get to say at one of these little what was it, the Washington Inn? What did you say it was? The Metropolitan Inn. Metropolitan Inn, and- there we go. All I need is a is, is a running shower, bro. That's really it. <laughs> All right, well, Will, you're recovering from Fat Tuesday and NOLA right now. Thank you for sobering up enough, or presumably, to do the show for us. Yeah, man, it was it was a crazy Mardi Gras for sure. I'm I'm barely sober as we speak. Uh, shout out to 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 the the like eight water bottles I drank this morning before I got on the pod. <laughs> uh, but nah, man, it was a crazy Mardi Gras the whole weekend. I, like I I told y'all before we got on, I think this was like. One of the most packed Mardi Gras I've seen in some years. It seemed like just everybody was down here. This was the first post-COVID Mardi Gras where I feel like everybody felt comfortable getting outside and being in the big crowds. And the crowds were, like, outrageous. I was lucky to kind of be in the cut, Law Murray style yesterday. So I wasn't too much, you know, in the mix yesterday. But, yeah, it was a wild weekend and definitely a, a fun time during Mardi Gras. to get to see a whole bunch of people you know, do a whole bunch of stuff you shouldn't be doing on a Tuesday. So it was a good time for sure. I mean, Law, you were talking before I went on the air about how we're seeing all sorts of people showing up for Mardi Gras that we don't usually see down there. I've seen a few too. And well, I'm wondering, have there been any, you know, players are always like, I'm getting the hell out of my town. I'm going to either Utah. Well, no one usually wants to go to Utah, but I'm either going to All-Star or I'm going to the Caribbean. And most guys are in the Caribbean. Did anyone stick around just to do Mardi Gras? No, I don't think so because it was tied to All-Star Weekend. So a lot of these guys, they get out of there during All-Star Weekend and you're not going to see them until like that Tuesday 
they got to be back. And the Pelicans were smart. They didn't. They got a game in Toronto on Wednesday, so they didn't require the guys to come back to New Orleans. They're actually practicing out in Houston to get ready for the game in Toronto. So they had to didn't have to worry about coming back and dealing with all this Mardi Gras traffic and people trying to get to the airport. Uh, so yeah, they they stayed away, and that was a smart thing to do because of how crazy them crowd was. Even though a couple years ago, shout out to uh, Jose Alvarado, the MVP of the Rising Stars game. He was out there at Mardi Gras. I want to say this was last year. Yeah, last year, because he was a rookie last year. He was out there getting it in. Uh, but yeah, those those dudes were smart enough to, to get the hell up out of New Orleans and enjoy yourself uh, where there's, there are beaches and you know uh, maybe people a little more scandally clad than they would be at a Mardi Gras parade. I thought they get scantily clad at Mardi Gras, wasn't that the whole they thing? They are pretty. They are pretty yeah. scantily clad at a Mardi Gras. If you go to the right spot, for sure. You know, Alvarado, he he became like every All Star. There's one dude who kind of like takes that step in the Q rating. Like everybody loves Alvarado, um, but I feel like that showing he had there and him just kind of popping up and showing his face all over the place. It feels like Alvarado is kind of like turning that corner now of going from, like, a role player that became a little bit more than that this year to, like, a guy who's part of the NBA lexicon. It's crazy, man, seeing his come up. Because, you know, I, I knew Jose last year when literally nobody knew Jose. Like, he was going in the spots in New Orleans, and people had no idea who he was. And now you see he's one of the guys front row at the dunk contest. He's involved in one of the dunks. He wins MVP at a Rising Stars game. This was dude was an undrafted free agent. He told me when he left Georgia Tech, he still had a year of eligibility at Georgia Tech. And he left and was like, look, I'm not going to be 23 years old, still in college with a daughter. So I'm just going to go to the league and just hope I can land somewhere. And now, like you said, he was one of the biggest stars of the weekend. Uh, his profile's going up. He's got a shoe deal with Peak. Uh, you know, his daughter's all over Instagram. People are loving her. She's getting the Riley Curry vibes right now. It's crazy, man, just seeing that dude's come up. And a big part of it is just like his personality. You saw it during the, the Rising Stars game, just him talking crap on the when he's mic'd up and scoring on Trey. And I'm telling, I tell people all the time, he's not doing an act. That's Jose every single day. He's the loudest person in the locker room. He's the loudest person on the court. A lot of these dudes just got to get away from Jose because they hear his voice in their head when they're asleep. He's just so loud all the time. Uh, but I'm I mean, just shout out to him getting his love. Uh, just he's he's putting in the work, and he's not a dude who expected to be here at all. Well, yeah, I got were, to see him. There. Yeah, I got to see him bouncing around the media availability. You know how they have uh, all the podiums set up for media day on Saturday, and Jose and Trey Murphy were actually two of the guys who I, I know Trey was doing something for Complex, and he was just asking dudes, "Hey." Who's going to win the dunk contest? Uh, you know, that almost worked out for Trey. But Jose was there, too, uh, just bouncing around. And and other NBA players are excited to see him, too, and excited to talk to him, too. So there's a respect factor there for Jose that is earned. Um, he's, he's, a, he's a unique character as well as a unique player, and he's going to be around for a while. And it's exciting to see. Will, did Trey Murphy make himself look better with that dunk contest? Or was that kind of underwhelming? No, I thought Trey, you know, I think we kind of did the Mac McClung and we had the crazy quote coming out of the dunk contest saying Mac McClung saved the dunk contest. But I think Trey Murphy's presence there kind of made that 
away from her experience that it probably should have been, right? Just because Mac did kind of what we expected him to do if you knew him from YouTube. And the fact that he kind of had a worthy adversary there in the dunk contest, a dude that was putting up 10 worthy dunks. Uh, I thought that kind of made it a much funner night than we thought, especially after Jericho Sims was out there. I don't know what the hell Jericho Sims Bro, was doing. What the hell? Putting every limb in his body in the rim and then, you know, damn near <laughs> ripping the envelope in half to try to show us he should get a 50. Uh, I mean, I was like, ban this man from the arena after that performance. But the fact that Trey, I thought Trey had three really solid dunks. And then the, it seemed like the fourth one, he just kind of ran out of ideas. Uh, but those first three dunks, I'll I put that up there with anybody's first three dunks, especially for a guy who was coming in for the first time and uh, the trade the jose idea was fun and the kind of the pump with the windmill he did uh, that was the first time i ever saw that, that in the dunk good, contest yeah. that so that was a dope one so shout out to trey for to, for making at least part of this weekend entertaining because we was struggling to find anything entertaining about this all-star weekend look let me tell you the fact that those dudes trey and mac in particular they always hit it on the first try yeah. was was great because by the end of the night, we wanted to get the heck out of there anyway, right? They made sure that we didn't stay an extra half hour longer at that dunk contest. So, and well, it's a great point. Like, Mac did a great job. Uh, and the fact is, he had a great, it's not like he blew the thing out the water. Like, Trey would have won that contest most years, I believe. So, I guess part of why I was asking it the way I did was that. Trey did the Vince Carter 360 windmill, and that's like, for a lot of us, our favorite dunk ever when Vince did it. That was a long time ago. I can't remember how many years ago. Like, what, like 23 years ago or something like that? It's God, so... Making this, us feel old over here, man. Right, for real, man. But, like, I, I had the Vince Carter poster on my wall after that dunk contest when I was a little kid. But so... Did Trey, like, did Trey doing stuff like that, like, stuff that was impressive, but we've also seen it in the past, did that for, like, Pelicans fans, did they, like, look at that as, like, some sort of huge, exciting accomplishment, or were they kind of, like, a little bit, like, yawning at it just because it's stuff we've seen before? No, nah, I mean, Pelicans fans were hyped for Trey because, he, like, he's one of the fan favorites. He's a dude who's got a, a fun personality online. He, he gets involved with all of the memes and stuff like that. So, so the, the fans really embrace him, and they want him to be a bigger star, so they kind of viewed this as his opportunity to kind of, you know, introduce himself to the national audience. Kind of the same thing with Jose. They really love those two guys and just being able to show like, hey, we got these fun young players. They got personality. They can do stuff. And they really embrace being in New Orleans. I think the, the Pels fans are really excited about that. And I think also just the fact that he got Jose involved, it was kind of the, the ongoing thing about how the, this Pels team is so close. And especially that, that class with Trey, uh, Herb Jones, and Jose kind of that that I think a lot of Pels fans look at that as like okay when these guys came in that's when everything kind of changed right for the Pels and it's not looking too hot for them but I think that's kind of the starting point that a lot of Pels fans look at as like Stan Van Gandy era moves out and the Herb Jose and Trey era moved in and I think that was their uh their chance to be like yeah see what we got going on in New Orleans these young guys are fun they can do stuff, and it wasn't for Mac McClung. Maybe Trey Murphy gets a slam dunk trophy, and I'm telling you, if he got that trophy, I don't know if his head would have fit through any of the doors <laughs> in Salt Lake City because that man already got an ego on him. If he could have called himself slam dunk champion Trey Murphy, I don't know if anybody would have been able to talk to Trey the whole weekend. I like how we went from Stan Van Gundy to Jose Alvarado being the best ball handler on the Pelicans. <laughs> so, is he like, do, do Pelicans fans see this as like, 
is, is Zion and Ingram, is that the core identity of this team? Or is it really all these fun role players that are kind of emerging? I really think it's those guys. And I mean, I think they would put B.I. above all because B.I. was the kind of the first guy to commit right after the A.D. trade. He signed that Big Max extension uh, after A.D. left. And he was the guy that kind of said, I want to be in New Orleans. And it felt like everybody kind of followed him. Uh, including Zion a little bit later. But I think when you talk about the personality of this team, it starts with Jose and Trey, and I would throw Najee Marshall in there and those guys. Because, you know, B.I., he don't really have a big personality. And Z, like, he's fun in front of cameras, but he's not really, like, I wouldn't say he's galvanizing in the locker room or guys are really following Zion. Like, I, I think they follow Jose more than they follow any of these other guys just because, like I said, he's a huge personality and his you just got to respect his style of play because he's so small and he's not athletic, but he finds a way to make an impact. You and know, he so plays I, too, which helps. Yeah, you know, actually playing basketball also helps if you want to galvanize your teammates. Uh, but, you know, if that's the case – a whole lot of the NBA wouldn't be galvanizing their teammates. That's something we're going to get into later. But, yeah, I, I think those young guys are, are huge in New Orleans, and that's a big part of the, the, the change they're trying to make. Well, Law, speaking of galvanizing teammates, Russell Westbrook is going to be playing hey. for the Los Angeles Clippers. Yeah, what the hell's going on? You got a story up with Yovan Buha, who's supposed to be with us, but unfortunately had to cancel last second, classic Yovan. Uh, but Russ is a Clipper. And I see you putting out that like Russ could be the point guard that they need kind of stuff. And like, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of credence to it. And then at the same time, it's Russ. And we just saw how it went with Russ. So why are the Clippers making this call? Yeah, You know, what's crazy is Yovan canceled. I, I was, I barely made it here because I was celebrating Mardi Gras and Yovan had to cancel because he's still celebrating Russell Westbrook's exit from LA, right? <laughs> is that why he couldn't make it? Or, or, or no, do I have that wrong? Uh, oh, my bad. Well, yeah, congratulations, Law. You get Russell Westbrook now. Here you go. You, you thought it was right. tough dealing with Kawhi. Now you got Russ and Kawhi on your squad. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. You know, I, I got a little hair on my chin, so it's all good. <laughs> um, here's the thing. Russell Westbrook, the decision was going to be made pretty, pretty clear after Paul George s- said his name publicly in the locker room. You know, uh, shortly after the three-way trade that sent Russell to the purgatory that is Utah, so we kind of just we kind of just knew. What was crazy is that when Paul George said that that night, Lawrence Frank, who only makes himself available less than a handful of times a year, described a player that sounded like Russell Westbrook as a player that the Clippers would probably not be interested in bringing on, and. I think you also you you have to have a translator for 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 personnel execs, and I've been around the team for a few years, uh, longer than that if you don't include the athletics. So I kind of was listening to Lawrence and was like, John Wall was just on his team. Eric Bledsoe, who will could not say nicer things about Eric Bledsoe, uh, <laughs> he was on the team last Ooh, boy. year. And then the year before that, Rajon Rondo was traded here for fan favorite Lou Williams. So I've seen this team add guys who Lawrence has said, if you kind of read between the lines, don't always fit around Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. So why Russell? Besides the fact that they had that Oklahoma City run, uh, PG and Russ, Besides the fact that Teron Lue keeps on saying how much he wants a traditional point guard in his rotation, despite the fact that this team was literally built to be a wing stop type of team, it's the fact that you got to look at Kawhi. 
Kawhi has been doing great work on the court over the last two months, really. And at the same time, him and PG, they're asked to do everything. They're asked to be not just the top scorers, but the top playmakers. They're asked to be not just the top defenders, but the top rebounders. And for three quarters, they look really good doing that. And then in the fourth quarter, I see these teams that they're blowing out start to come back. And Kawhi and PG, those shots are coming up short. And the turnovers start to pile up. And then you wonder, hmm, they barely survived this game. And they look tired right now. What's this going to look like two months from now? So it's 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 strange to think of this because Russell is a notoriously inefficient player. But if you have Russell Westbrook having some more of those possessions in the middle of games, you know, first three quarters of games or so, and that saves the workload a little bit on Paul George and Kawhi Leonard so that those guys can be at their best when it matters the most in the fourth quarter. That's kind of what we're going at. It's a comfort thing. It's a comfort thing for PG because he's always looking out for us, except when he wants to go to the LA Clippers. It's a comfort thing for Kawhi because Kawhi doesn't want to, Kawhi's always been barking about a point guard ever since the bubble. And it's a comfort thing for T. Lou, a guy who's won champion, a championship as a point guard in this league. So it's, it's, not a necessary move. Russ is a luxury, but Russ is a luxury for a team that doesn't need him uh, to be good. A team that is good already. Not great, but good. And I have an open mind to it as far as seeing how it goes. So, I mean, a few ways that this could work in theory is one, you put four shooters around him. And so he actually has room and he's actually kicking out the guys that want to shoot. And then do the Clippers need to push and transition more? Because Credit to Russ, it's a fast break no matter what, as long as he gets the ball in his hands. Like, Are those things that's going to really help? I think it does help because, let's put it this way, the Clippers are a slow team, but they have a lot of shooters. And ironically, something that wasn't the case with when John was on the team, the Clippers, Lawrence Frank did a great job at the trade deadline balancing the team. Luke Kennard's a really good player, but his weaknesses are too similar to Norman Powell's weaknesses. And Norm is a damn six-man-of-the-year candidate. Like an actual one, not like what Russ was doing with the Lakers. So now you have Eric Gordon in his place. And Eric is just a sturdier defender and a guy who, unlike Luke, is a lot more willing to actually do things when he's not wide open. So that helped. Mason Plumlee is the backup center now, whereas before uh, the Clippers just didn't have a reliable backup center and the wing stop lineups just didn't, again, Nicholas Batum and Robert Covington have similar weaknesses on both ends of the floor. And it took the Clippers actually having to play those dudes together to figure that out. And so now you have a backup center. You can play Powell and Gordon with another guard together, theoretically. And even getting a guy like Bones, you you pick up some youth. Uh, and so Russ is going to be in a better situation than John was. That's going to be a tough pill to swallow for people who want to see John make his comeback. But that's the other part of this. Russ is healthier than John is. So this is just a better roster for Russell Westbrook than it was for John Wall with the Clippers and better than it was for Russell Westbrook with the Lakers, who the most used five-man lineup, Jared and Will, that Russell Westbrook was on the floor for for the Lakers involved Anthony Davis and three other guards, Patrick Beverly, Lonnie Walker IV, and Austin Reeves. Tell me how that makes any kind of sense if you're trying to be successful on the floor. You're not going to see that with the Clippers. Yeah, and I think, well, Russ, you know, it's very easy to kind of 
uh, be very extreme in the way you you analyze him. It's either like Russ sucks or Russ is super underrated. People are hating on Russ, and I think, like you pointed out, there are times in LA where they kind of had him in a nuanced role where it worked for stretches, and he was able to do some things to help out those other guys. But the issue with Russ is it's very hard to keep things nuanced with him because of his personality, right? And I think the conversation here isn't so much about the basketball fit because we've seen Russ work with PG. We know Kawhi can basically play with anybody. T. Lou's a great coach. He can figure it out. The issue is how is Russ going to handle things when he plays maybe 15 minutes in one of these games? How is Russ going to talk to the media when he gets asked certain questions by maybe a Law Murray or someone like that? Uh, How is Russ going to handle things you know, when he's not being used as much, or is he going to have an issue with his coach in the locker room, the way Russ did with Darvin Ham, where they went chest to chest. And then they had an issue because he wasn't happy about when Darvin Ham subbed him out of a game. I, I think these are the issues you got to talk about when you bring Russell in. It's, of course, he's got trouble shooting. He turns the ball over way too much. He's not going to defend on certain possessions. But I think the much bigger thing is with with the Clippers, I think it was very similar to what happened with Brooklyn this year, pre-everything blowing up, where it kind of just got very quiet around those guys, and it's been very basketball-focused now that Kawhi has been more consistent playing and PG's been healthy, and they're starting to figure out these lineups. We've been very basketball-focused there, and I'm worried about how is Russ going to bring in, come in there and maybe make some waves off the court where they don't have to deal with that stuff when PG and Kawhi are your two stars. And we know T. Lou is a guy who, who very rarely has issues with players in the locker room well, Russ don't give a damn about that. He has issues with everybody in the locker room. Uh, so how much is that going to come into play and how much is that going to affect them on the court, even if Russ is filling up the box score the way he we know he can? That's going to be the biggest question. And this is a different situation for Russ. And that's really been my whole take on this whole situation is how different this situation is with the Clippers than it was with the Lakers or any other team that Russ has been on. Russ ain't one of the one or two or three best players on the team, okay? And Russ is going to, he's headed for some career lows. Minutes, shots, touches, they're going to be lows. And the difference is, I know that had been part of the conversation with Russ going in. When he was traded to the Lakers, it was LeBron and AD saying to the front office, let's get Russ, let's get a third star, we'll figure the rest out. And I don't think Frank Vogel was like, guys, what team did we just win the championship with? That's different. Teron Lou is there with Kawhi and PG, and they're like, yo, let's do this, basically. And if we're going to do this, this is how we're going to do it. And they're telling Russell Westbrook that, and this, and Russell Westbrook's not on a max contract anymore. So that means two things. Number one, you have a roster around where if Russ ain't playing, you still can do things. Whereas those other teams, all the other teams that Russ was on, because of his contract, because of his stature in the league, Russ had to be a big part of the of whatever success was going to come out of it. That's number one. And number two, Russ don't got the leverage to just be tripping like this anymore. Like, you can't, if you're the Lakers, you can't cut $47 million. If you're the Clippers, what's a minimum contract to Steve Ballmer, right? So, and I don't mean that as a threat. I mean that as this had to have been a conversation where it's like, Russ, this is the expectations. Even if he does start, and I'm not sure it's 100% certain he starts right away, but even if he does start, that doesn't mean he's going to play a ton of minutes. There's going to be some uh, a place where you got to be a part of a team. You can't just make it about yourself. So 
I think that's going to be a thing where day one, you're going to have one assessment. Day 51, you're going to have another. And we're not even talking about day 100 unless the Clippers are playing in the finals anyway. So Ty Lue and the Stars being on the same page with Russ at the beginning of this, I think that's going to be a big part of how Russ goes about his tenure with the Clippers. For one, is $47 million even that much a C-Bomber? You might have waved that too. But <laughs> um, I can't believe we're talking about Russ starting. Like he he just got – he was going to get cut by the Lakers from all reports. So they didn't even want him, period. And he's going to start? Like that's that's wild. It's not like his performance is merited. It, it makes sense for him to be in the rotation. But I guess that's the situation. But I kind of feel like I'd rather just start Terrence Mann. I would much rather start Terrence Mann. Yeah. Maybe Terrence Mann is like a classic case of this like guy that keeps getting he keeps earning minutes and then getting shoved down the depth chart because of whatever moves they make. It's like I feel like they gotta learn from yeah. the mistake on that one. Well well the thing with Terrence is no one thinks he's a point guard. Like he's the starting point guard by yeah. nominal position. Even Terrence does not refer to himself as the point guard. Like we were talking before the trade deadline about Reggie, and Terrence tells me, Yeah, we all know Reggie is our point guard with Reggie Jackson coming off the bench about to get traded. Okay. So <laughs> that's, and that's the thing, like Paul, they all, everyone loves Terrence. Okay. Um, and Terrence is going to earn time. Like the thing about Terrence, you guys mentioned it. He always gets shoved down. He always comes, be- he always comes up. Damn it. Like, I don't worry about T-Man. Like <laughs> um, the team, like Ter- Teron Lou thinks of T-Man as a small forward. The only guy who, the only coach who really consistently wanted to have Terrence be a point guard, ironically, was Doc who T-Man and Doc aren't even that close, you know? So the thing with Terrence is I know that Terrence has been frustrated about his role in general because he's been asked to play every position. And really, when he's out there starting or playing, whether it's first unit or second unit, he's a connector. He's not a play starter. So I'd rather the Clippers stick with Terrence in the starting lineup, but I also know that if Terrence winds up keeping the same minutes but coming off the bench, he's going to make the impact the same way. It, and the, the bigger question is just how does Lou balance what is happening with Russ and put him in position to succeed? Terrence is not someone I worry about, though. He's going to be fine. All right. We're going from real life shit with Russell Westbrook to some cartoon shit. And that's NBA paint. And so I just had a feature on The Athletic about my favorite Instagram slash Twitter thing that exists with the NBA. There's really two. There's Art But Make It Sports where they somehow instantaneously take a photo from a major sporting event and somehow find a painting that looks exactly like it. It's incredible. But the other favorite is the most rudimentary version of that, which is NBA paint for people that don't know what it is. It's this dude that he does like little Microsoft paint stick figure puns of different players. And they can be like spam out of bio or shake Milton drawn as a milkshake uh, with the Sixers jerseys on it, all sorts of funny stuff like that. It's so it got me thinking like what what are the other like funny twitter and instagram accounts out there that people really love so like law what's your favorite well i got to meet rob perez at all star which was cool because what's funny is rob perez follows a lot of people <laughs> like he just yeah. will mass follow and that's actually how i first got to be familiar with him cuz way back in the past when nobody was following me like that he followed me. I'm like, oh, cool. I don't know what I did, but I'm doing something right. But then you see him blow up and he just does the most random stuff with all kinds of joy, including I, I had to tell him because I'm in L.A. And every time you're in a newsroom in L.A. and there's a 
you know, a car chase, like everyone just stops and like moss to a flame, they go and change the channel to the car chase. So Rob likes to do that on Twitter, right? And so I told him about that and and it's just it's it was just cool to to, to meet him because like if you're not watching something, like Rob is like red zone for basketball. Like he does a great job of getting your attention on some cool stuff happening in the moment on game night, especially. So uh, shout out to Rob. Uh, and um, I'm glad uh, I'm glad I finally got to meet him, got to appreciate his uh, his come up. Yeah, there were a few times this year where stuff would happen during the game and I will go to his account to see if he can if he had a replay or something like that. I remember uh the Pels were playing in Dallas and there was a like a controversial out of bounds call late in that game and I couldn't find a replay and Rob had the whole thing. He did like a a wob investigation or whatever to break down everything that went wrong. And uh yeah, it was crazy. So yeah, I, I shout out to him cuz he kind of has a knack for just figuring out the one thing that happened in the NBA that night that needs to go up. And he he posted consistently, so yeah, shout out to Rob, man. He's super cool. Uh, but I, I would say for mine, I would I would throw two examples out there. One of mine is this guy, y'all probably aren't aware of uh, Retro Pels. He does a whole lot of Pel like Pelicans. Uh, I wouldn't even uh, like kind of videos, or he does like a hype video after every Pelicans win, and he shows all of these goofy clips of the Pelicans doing weird random stuff. Uh, he's funny. I. I I've heard we were supposed to meet at one point, and I think we're going to end up meeting at one point. But, yeah, shout out to him. I always love the the dudes who are, like, just fans and just creating all of this content that people love, and you know they're not getting any money for it, but they, you can tell they're putting in the time to get it done. So shout out to him. And also I got to throw out uh, my guy Dragonfly Jones, who, oh, a hilarious yeah. Twitter Absolute follow. Uh, legend on Twitter, some of the most hilarious tweets you will find. Not stuff – Kids should be reading all the time, but some of the hilarious tweets he's always got. And he's great smart takes. too. He is yeah. he is incredibly intelligent. He's brilliant, and he knows what he's talking about too. He he's got some, especially like when they got around that time where it was Brooklyn and the Kyrie stuff. He has some real uh, interesting takes about how we should be looking at ownership maybe in that situation. So yeah, shout out to Dragonfly Jones, uh, a dope Twitter follower as well. There. I don't think there's anyone I see more on the black people Twitter subreddit than Dragonfly Jones. Like whenever I open Reddit, he <laughs> pops up almost immediately every single time. The dude, because it's like he has like he's lyrically impressive. He's sharp and witty. It's not like usually like it's not like a Josiah Jones kind of thing where it's like you're like cackling, laughing kind of thing. It's more just like kind of introspective and sharp wit. But the dude makes it's hard to make smart observations about so many different subjects at a time. It's like, you know, you like we all are beat writers covering a specific team and we're also covering the league to a degree. So like with our own teams, we usually can come up with like pretty smart observations. But when you see some of these dudes on Twitter or dudettes on Twitter too, that are able to just like jump into different topics and subject areas and have like the smartest opinion about it or the most like well-rounded opinion about it. That's like a real skill of intellectualism there. And he really has that. Right. And he does something that I know all of us try to do as writers where, you know, with Twitter, there's always conversation going on around your team, around stuff going around the NBA. And you want to be the guy who comes in and says, OK, here's a different perspective that y'all aren't talking about. Right. Or here's something y'all aren't thinking about with this situation. And he has a really good way of just finding a way to cut through all the noise and being like, hey, yo, y'all not talking about this right here. Right. And it's something that we constantly always try to do is like, OK, everybody knows 
If I'm covering the Pelicans, we got to talk about Zion's injuries. We got to talk about Jose doing the sneaky <laughs> steals. But you got to come in and say something that if people say, oh, I haven't heard that before. You know, I haven't thought about it that way. And he, he does a really good job with that. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son, Evan, continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless, modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and Cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. I know I'm looking outside right now. Sun's out, birds are chirping. It's time to start getting outside. Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids. And honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. And Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10 minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60 minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Speaking of people who uh, probably should think about things differently, Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks don't have a coach right now, or I guess they have an interim coach right now. Joe Prunny, once again, taking over. Uh, he took over uh, in Milwaukee a few years back, uh, but he replaces Nate McMillan. Nate McMillan is finally out. We knew it was coming at some point soon. We knew that things were not working with him and Trey, but he's a coach at the Hawks, so we know it's not going to work out with him and Trey. Uh, so, Will, what do you think of the state of affairs in Atlanta and what do you think they need besides a coaching change, which I'm sure will help to a degree short term? That's what happened with Nate, right? They made the coaching change and right. they rode that wave to the conference finals and it fell off real quick. Yeah, I think we've all kind of heard the whispers and the jokes, you know, we all kind of send to each other via text or whatever. But I think uh, now the national conversation is going to really go to like, yo, is Trey Young just a coach killer? Is he just a guy where you take that job and it's just a matter of time? Uh, before he does or says something that sends you along your way. And I think uh, it's been very interesting over the past year, basically really since the Hawks made the conference finals, where it feels like more and more of the conversation in Atlanta is about, hey, what's going on with Trey Young? Why can't he figure this out? And his numbers continuously look great, but the vibes are always horrible in Atlanta. Guys don't want to be there. Guys don't feel like they're together. 
Uh, you hear a guy like Kevin Herter go to Sacramento and he's constantly talking about how much happier he is and how he's playing in a system that better fits him. It's less us watching one guy dribble the ball all the time and we're playing more like a real basketball team. And I think this is going to be an ongoing conversation around Trey Young and whoever this next coach is going to be. God bless him because you got to figure out how to make that thing work with Trey Young the way he wants to play basketball, one. And then two, you got to work, make, figure out how to make this thing work with Trey Young, just the way he converses with people and how he interacts with teammates. And I think it's probably worse on that end where a lot of people will point to, well, they're bad because Trey just has the ball all the time. And some of that has kind of been alleviated with DeJounte Murray going there and he's kind of taking the ball a little bit away from Trey. But the bigger issue there is where are you going to go with Trey Young as the leader of your team? And, and as of right now, it doesn't seem like you're going to go very far. Uh, just the way he moves on a daily basis. And I don't know what coach they can bring in there that's going to change that. Hey, well, the Hawks definitely didn't wait until Black History Month was over to fire the head coach oh, like they did two years ago. The dust. God. They, had, they had Lloyd Pierce on all the promos, it's like, man, we celebrating diversity. And as soon as the calendar changed March 1st, it was like, all right, let's get this done. Oh, <laughs> like, let me tell you, Lloyd Pierce was a first-time head coach coming in with Trey Young. They were in lockstep, rookie and rookie, right? So that didn't work. Uh, Nate did a great job in the interim role to get them to the conference finals, something that the Hawks have only done twice in Atlanta, I believe. Twice. And so Nate deserved the contract that he got. Like I heard people say, maybe the Hawks should have done a real coaching search after the 2021 postseason. And it's like, that would have been disrespectful to Nate, right? Because Nate took a situation where those dudes led by Trey had never been to the postseason. And then you not only embarrassed the New York Knicks, who had a really good year under Tom Thibodeau, had home court advantage. And now Trey Young is notorious because he's bowing and trolling at Madison Square Garden, but they beat the number one seed, a good Philadelphia 76ers team that had really a really nice regular season as well. Like, Nate Nate deserved that job, okay? And now Nate, we all knew this was coming at some point. I'm sure no one's feeling bad for Nate because Nate basically said earlier in the year he wasn't sure how much more this day he could take. So, I mean, I'm not going to keep bringing skin color into everything when it comes to coaching, but that's two black coaches, right? That basically Trey Young was like, nah, nah, I ain't with it. Um, so now what? Now what do you do? And so I I don't know. You've had an experienced coach. You had a rookie coach. What? Who? Who's the next coach that's going to try and get through to Trey? And I I just, you're going to have to really arm that dude with all kinds of years on the next contract. Well, Joe Prunty is the one taking over. So if, if that's the change you want, luck, you, you're looking for, you know, Good I mean, luck. <laughs> I remember when Joe took over in Milwaukee a few years back, they were having problems with Jabari Parker during the playoffs. Like Jabari Parker was kind of like throwing a bit of a mutiny. It was a one man mutiny. So it wasn't really going to work. It's like Joe's had to deal with that shit before. And I don't know if there's been any mutiny stuff there, but like there's been. I think it's already been reported about where like Trey uh, was like later didn't show up to shoot around one day and Nate sent him home and he didn't play. And like, there's been a few times where he's been out sick and, you know, wasn't at home with Robitussin is, you know, on a spoon. Let's just say that, you know, he, uh, 
he wasn't there for a reason and it had to do with being on time and showing up and doing all the stuff that like you got to set an example as as a star and it's like basically the intel that comes out on Trey is that he doesn't he doesn't lead by example and it creates a corrosive culture and so and it's either that's going to turn into he doesn't lead by example and others want to hold him accountable, but they can't hold him accountable because the front office is going to appease and the star is going to win over the coach in those battles. And we've seen, you know, we, we've seen this, this Atlanta front office try to smooth things over, but they can only do it so much. And I'm sure Nate could only take it so much before he's like, all right, like enough of the team apologizing for Trey. It's like, the, this is on Trey. Trey has got to uphold his end of the bargain. And by the way, now they have a rookie general manager, right? And Landry Fields, a guy who's not bringing in a whole lot of cachet in that position where you're trying to direct your star in one way, right? So that makes this even more complicated. I mean, Landry at least has the playing experience and he has a charisma that like, you can see him being able to manage Trey. But based on what's happening here, it's like pretty clear that like Trey won that battle versus Nate. And so that further emboldens Trey. Uh, it, it may be... You know, like we we were just talking about this with Russ. It's like Russ has not had an epiphany yet. And he's almost at the end here. He's running out of time to have that epiphany. And he hasn't. He's still playing the same game. And Russ is like clearly good enough that if he altered his, I guess, like his cadence on trying to constantly hunt to make huge plays, trying to slow down and be a little bit more patient, recognizing that he just can't hit most shots. And he's airballing and he's clanking off the backboard a lot of these shots. If he would just cut all that stuff out, to find a happy medium between what he does and what Ben Simmons does, or Ben Simmons has the same skill profile and just won't do anything because he's scared to make a mistake, Russ would be a very good player. He would still be a starting caliber player where we, w- we wouldn't have to kind of like smirk at it. And it's like with Trey, Trey is like, Trey is kind of like in a similar place to Russ right now, where Trey launches a lot of shots, tons of heat checks. He obviously doesn't play defense. Like he's notorious for his defensive effort and intensity. Off ball um, stuff too, offensively. Yeah, and like I mean, th- like th- there's enough of the consistency of the leaks here, and when you talk to people that know people in Atlanta or talk to people that are in Atlanta, it's like you're hearing like the, the story has been consistent enough that there's only so much hearsay. Like there's a lot of copycat intel that happens around the league when it comes to people's reputations, where like so, you know one thing comes out and then everybody's like seeing it through that same lens, even though it may not be necessarily fair. I think at this point, the stuff on Trey has been consistent enough that we can see we can see behind the closed door with that one. We don't have to really worry about, or I guess we should always worry about the accuracy, but I think we're all feeling pretty comfortable knowing what the situation is there, and this further confirms it. Okay, so here's a question, guys. You would trade Trey Young over DeJounte Murray, right? Because DeJounte's got a free agent decision coming up, not this summer, but I believe the next summer. And DeJounte is more of a two-way player than Trey is. Trey might have more value in a trade market, and you're trying to change your culture. So that's got to be the solution, right? Like, you got to start measuring what you can get for Trey, uh, whether that's players, picks, whatever, so that you can actually properly develop a culture where you're doing things on both ends of the floor, well, there are two issues there. One, you just gave away three picks to get DeJounte Murray, so you're not in a position where you could just start tanking, right, because the, the Spurs own a whole bunch of your future picks. Uh, so that's one issue, and that's another issue in trading DeJounte because you're not going to get as much value back as you gave away to get DeJounte 
pretty right. much in any trade, especially with him being so close to free agency. Uh, so I would think DeJounte getting traded is out the window and then trading Trey and starting over is out the window because you, you don't have your picks in the future. And then also, if you're looking at a Trey Young trade, and I would say this is the case maybe more than any of these other stars out there. You're not just trading for a great player. When you trade for Trey Young, you're like, okay, we're Trey Young's team now. And when he comes in, he's going to have the ball all the time. He's going to be the leader of the offense. We got to direct our defense around his weaknesses. You're devoting yourself completely to Trey Young. And we've seen in Atlanta, that doesn't really get you far a whole lot of times. And it's not only that, it's the fact that his teammates don't really rock with him like that. He has issues getting along with coaches. You have issues disciplining him behind the scenes. So when you add all of that into the mix, how many teams are really going to be willing to say, yeah, I'm handing over the keys to Trey Young and we'll see how far he can take us. When one, and hasn't worked in Atlanta, two, you got to worry about all this other crap behind the scenes. Uh, I just think it, 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 damages his his value way more than it should when we're talking about a dude who's averaging 27 and 10 every night uh so i think it makes it extremely complicated for anything atlanta wants to do i expect that atlanta is going to start exploring it and it's going to start getting out this summer i just i think at this point unless obviously something changes here i think it's kind of a no-brainer you have to start looking at that and like let's look at who are the teams out there that you can see it happening with we know orlando wants a, a really good point guard and they have a lot of good talent. There definitely is a viable way that you could do a trade where you you get a couple picks from Orlando, and then you get like two of their good like wing players or, or bigs or something like that. That that definitely could be possible. You wouldn't have your franchise cornerstone anymore, but you could have like a good depth of fringe all star players there. Um, so that's one option. You could try trading them for like Lamelo Ball. <laughs> And I don't really know. I don't I don't know if that makes sense because LaMelo Ball is kind of like a similar situation, except I don't think people like I don't think there's as much disdain for LaMelo. It's just like LaMelo just like doesn't know how to play winning basketball at this point. Um, but I think LaMelo maybe is more willing to listen and, and win uh, to try to win. than Trey I would also say uh, LaMelo in Atlanta would be something. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. Lamelo with Quavo sitting courtside and two chains. That'll be something. That's all I'm gonna say about that. Oh, that'd be great. Um, I mean, obviously, I want to see him get traded to the Knicks for Jalen Brunson. That would be the best case scenario. <laughs> Have him bowing down at MSG every single night. That'd be incredible. Um, but like, I don't think Sacramento is a candidate for it anymore. I don't know if Houston would so. do that. Like, Houston has a lot of players that you like. If you if you if you offer Trey Young for Jalen Green for instance, and then, like, I don't know how the matching would go, but I'm sure it could be figured out. Like, would you do that if you're Houston? Not because Harden's coming back to save the day. Yeah, I was Houston. about to say, yeah. man. They yeah, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you want to do Trey and James Harden together, I'm sure that would be great. Everybody would, would love to play against Houston every night with those two in the backcourt. Well, who would you rather have right now? Would you rather have Harden at his age or Trey at his age? You'd rather have Trey. Yeah. Just because of age. Just because of age, right? Age. And yeah. it seems like Harden's closer to the end uh, than Trey is, for sure. But Harden's also a lot better than Trey right now, I think. He 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 is, but you also know that, and I know James knows that the cliff is approaching, and we, mm. we've seen it. And, I, uh, man, I, I don't know. I, I, like I said, I don't really think there are a lot of great candidates out there. Uh, you said, Houston, I know the Spurs are a big no with Pop. 
I'm trying to think of some of these bottom tier teams. I mean, I wouldn't want to wish this well, on my guy James Edwards, maybe Detroit. <laughs> uh, 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 but can he play with Kay Cunningham? I don't know. I mean, he just drafted Jay Nivey. You would obviously upgrade him over uh, if you can get Trey Young. Uh, but how is that going to fit? And if they get Wimby in there, is Wimby going to be like, do I want to play with Trey Young? I don't know. It's, it's weird. That's the thing with with small guards who you can't protect on on the defensive end. They tried to do that by getting DeJounte, protect Trey. Like that DeJounte Murray trait was another bit of Trey Young appealing because we saw the Miami Heat lock this dude up for most of a five-game series. And then you saw an NBA draft where outside of Jaden Ivey, which small guards went higher than they were supposed to go, right? The NBA knows what it is with small guards. And Trey is an outstanding talent, but at the same time, Trey has holes where – you know, besides the personality fit, you have to do some things on the basketball court to appease for it. Nate Nate McMillan, I don't think he's out because of basketball purely. He's out because he didn't connect with the damn star player. And now you got a star player who is probably the worst kind of star player, like a small guard who you got to have bigs who can finish. You got to have wing defenders who can back up for him there. You got to have shooters around him. It's so much you have to do to support that. And it's not like Ja Morant. I thought John Morant's on a damn good team, but it, it's it's like, what do you do with a small guard who has so many challenges on the basketball f- court, and then you have to worry about the stuff in the locker room and in the in the film room? That's just too damn much. Ain't no team's going to be falling over backwards to acquire Trey Young. And here's the sad thing too: like we had this whole conversation, and I feel like this needs to be said also. Trey Young is a special basketball player. Like, I saw him come to New Orleans this year and make, like, three or four of the craziest passes I've seen in the NBA game this year. That dude is so good at basketball when he's got his head on right and he's just focused on playing. Uh, and it's more than just the 30-footers or him scoring 50 in some of these games. Like, he sees the game so well as a point guard at his size. But it's just about him just getting his head on right and figuring it out. And I think, unfortunately, with the way they're doing things in Atlanta, he's just not held accountable the way he needs to. And I don't know how you're going to make that happen if your plan is to bring in another first-year coach and hope he can be best friends with Trey behind the scenes. Like, it, it just hasn't worked, and I don't think it will work. And I don't know what's the plan to fix it there. Well, we won't find it on this podcast. We're going to have to wrap it up anyway. So... Law Murray, he's our Clippers writer. Will Guillory covers the Pelicans for us. Jared Weiss covering the Celtics for the Athletic. Andrew Schlecht is our producer and one of the great human beings of all time. And that'll do it here on The Young Ones on the Athletic NBA Show.